morning. Today's message and uh, one or two after Easter is coming out a suggestion that was made to me a few months ago. And that is uh, God has blessed our church with uh, people of different cultures. And so just welcoming uh, people, uh, understanding cultures, and just how we can uh, make a difference as a church. And so we're going to start that today, and then there'll be change for the next couple of weeks, and then we'll be back into that. When my wife and I went to Fiji, uh, we had pre-booked a 15-passenger van for the group of us uh, through a rental agency at the airport. We got there. Uh, the agent wasn't a native-born Fijian, but uh, he went and uh, got the van for us. Uh, he came back in and he said, I backed it up to the door of the terminal and uh, he handed us the keys and supposedly we're off. And so we went out there and the van was backed up as uh, he had said and I opened the back doors and we loaded in all of our luggage and I walked around the van and it had a flat tire. He had driven it up to the door with the flat tire. And so I went back inside but he was nowhere to be found. And so I went back out and I opened the back doors and I was going to take out all of our luggage because the tire was underneath there. And some Fijian men, they saw what was happening. Uh, they were right there, right now. And at one point we had 15 of them there. And uh, they were insisting that we didn't lift a finger. Uh, we, I couldn't even lift out a piece of luggage. And they, no, no, uh, you're a visitor to our country and we're horrified of the way you've been treated. And that's not the way in Fiji we treat visitors. And so they pulled out all of our luggage, they pulled out the spare, and it had a bulge in it. And so into the terminal they went looking, all 15 of them. And they found the agent hiding in a broom closet. And they literally drug him out. And did he ever get a scolding? First in Fijian, and then they repeated it in English to make sure that we understood what they were saying to him. But the essence of what they were saying was hospitality was their value. And he had broken that value. And he had treated visitors like they should never ever have been treated. Now of course what they said to him was a lot stronger than just what I said. But we found it was true. The Fijian people were very hospitable, very welcoming. They welcomed the stranger. And if you want to experience great hospitality as a stranger, go visit Fiji. Uh, they'll treat you wonderfully. In contrast to that, many years ago, Esther and I went to a wedding. And uh, the next day, we went back to the church where the wedding had been held. Uh, went there for the Sunday morning service. And as we came in, uh, no one greeted us. Uh, we sat down, uh, the only ones that we talked to were people that we knew from the wedding that uh, were also visiting that uh, Sunday and they didn't get greeted either. And as we walked out, uh, their usher was standing at the back door and uh, it, this was still the days where they used to hand out these adult Sunday school papers and uh, he had a stack of them in his hands and I was watching him. And whenever somebody that he knew came by, he was all smiles and shook their hands and greeted them, talked to them, handed them a paper. When someone came by him that he didn't know, he would just go ramrod straight 
stare straight ahead and not make any eye contact until the person was by. And the next one that he knew, he was right back friendly again. Now, if we'd been looking for a church to attend, we likely wouldn't have gone back to that church, which is a shame because we knew people in that church and it was a good church. But their initial welcome, they weren't doing well with that. So how are we doing at making strangers welcome? And I think if we would take a survey of the church, we would give ourselves pretty high marks. And actually, when churches are surveyed, that is the typical response. Churches tend to view themselves as friendly churches. Yet when strangers are surveyed, visitors are surveyed, churches are tend to be rated much lower than what the people rate themselves. Now what's happening is we rate ourselves as we see ourselves. The visitor will rate us according to their experience, their performance. Now, many churches, they try to create a friendly Sunday morning experience, and we do here, and uh, we try to greet visitors, talk to them, and so on. And so as a church, we tend to rate ourselves on the experience we think we're giving to visitors. Now, first impressions are important, but that's not the main need of a newcomer, as important as that is. Very often what the newcomer is coming and looking for is the possibility of friendships. They're needing friendships. And the friendliness of Sunday morning so often doesn't translate into friendships. And I heard this many years ago that if a new person comes to church and within the first six months, if they gain four to five friends, it's almost guaranteed that they'll stay. You can pretty much count on it. In that first six months, if they make two or three friends, they're likely to stay, but they may go and check out other churches. If they only make one friend, they might stay. But much more likely, they're gonna be checking out other churches, and if they do stay, more likely to be sporadic or just quit coming. But in that first six months, if they don't make any friends, you're almost guaranteed to lose the person. And they'll leave saying that the church is unfriendly even though the initial experience was positive. And if the initial experience was negative, then you've probably lost them right from the start. I know a Christian family who had moved to a new community and they were looking for a new church home. And so they just picked the church at random because they didn't know anything about any of the churches. And they showed up for the Sunday morning service and no one spoke to them as they came in and they sat down, went through the service. They hung around afterwards waiting for someone to speak to them. And they waited until almost everyone was gone and not one person greeted them, spoke to them. Eventually they just walked out and they walked out saying, we'll never go back to that church. Next Sunday they went to another church and they had the opposite experience. And they're still there. Still there. First impressions are important. 
But it's not just the first impressions, it's what happens afterwards. So what does the Bible say about this? And it literally it says, welcome the stranger. Romans 12, 13 says, share with God's people who are in need, practice hospitality. New Living Translation, I like the way it puts it, always be eager to practice hospitality. Hebrews 13, 2 do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. In various passages, we're encouraged or even commanded to be hospitable. And the word hospitable in the New Testament literally means to love the stranger. And so the biblical command is practice showing love to strangers. Now, in the old Eastern culture, to welcome and love a stranger was something they valued. And so a guest, and they uh, would talk in this way, a guest was seen as a gift from God. A visitor is a gift from God, a blessing from God. Not an inconvenience. God was showing you favor by putting a newcomer into your life, sending a stranger your way. They had a saying, every stranger is an invited guest. So what does it mean to welcome the stranger? And I think one of the best passages is from Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17 through 20. <clears throat> For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, the mighty and awesome. We'll just stop there for a second. This is why we're to love the stranger. We do it because God is God. He is Lord of Lords. He's the great God. He's the mighty and awesome God. Now we could go elsewhere in scripture and we'd build a case as we went through 1 John. John would have been saying you should be showing a welcome to strangers because God is love. And we love because he first loved us. And so in response to the love we've received, we give love, but that's not the way this passage describes it. Rather, we're to love the stranger because of who God is. God is God. He's the Lord of Lords, King of Kings. He's the great, mighty, and awesome God. And because God is that, we're to love the stranger. Let's go on. Who shows no partiality. When we love people of our own culture, our own people more than people of another culture, our own people more than people who are strangers to us, than the newcomer, then we're showing partiality. And our God, who is God, does not show partiality. To God, there's no difference between you and the newcomer. He doesn't show partiality. So there should be no difference. <coughs> there should be no difference in how long you've attended here. There's no difference in your social or economic status. There's no difference in your education level. There's no difference in your cultural background. None of these things matter to God. All are equally loved and cared for by him, and we are to do the same. Everyone is to be loved equally. No difference. 
He goes on here and he says, God accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. He loves the alien, gives him food and clothing. And so we're to love the stranger. And I, I guess I better for maybe some of the younger ones clarify that word alien it uses here because today that's come to mean someone from outer space. The aliens have come. And so uh, that's not what it's meaning here. The alien is the stranger, the newcomer. And so we're to love the stranger because God loves the stranger. We're to take care of his needs because God takes care of that person's needs. And for the newcomer, most of them coming here, the greatest need that they're going to show and have is the need of friendship. Verse 19, and you're to love those who are aliens, for you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. How do we fear God and how do we serve him? By loving the stranger. And he says, there's a motivation that should drive us here. He's talking to Israel here. He says, remember back when you were a stranger in a strange land, you were the alien." And they didn't get treated very well there. Because the people of the land made them slaves. They abused them. Mistreated them. And so don't do that to the stranger that comes your way. Remember what it was like to be a stranger. Now treat these strangers a little better. Well, we haven't had the experience that uh, Israel's had of being in Egypt. But you know, we once were aliens to God. We were strangers and he welcomed us into his family. Once you were a newcomer to this church and you were welcomed in. And he says, remember that and give the same love to the strangers who are coming now. Some of you have come from other communities. You you remember what it's like to be new. And he's saying, remember that. And welcome the stranger now. Some of you have come from other countries and you were a stranger here. Remember that experience. Now when a new stranger comes, welcome them. Use what you've gone through to be able to identify and welcome them. Esther's often commented to me, she says, the ones that struggle the most with this are the ones who grew up in a church, never moved anywhere, never had to experience being a stranger. And so then it's hard for them to identify what it's like to be a newcomer, to be a stranger. So often it's the ones who have experienced this who are more ready to see the need of welcoming strangers into their lives. And not just a welcome on Sunday, but a welcome into their lives. Leviticus 19, starting in verse 33, says, When an alien lives with you in your land, <clears throat> do not mistreat him. The alien living with you must be treated as one of your native-born. Love him as yourself, for you are aliens in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You see the repeat here? Going right back, remember when you were a stranger, 
Why do you do this? Same reason, because I am the Lord your God. But he introduces something else here. He says, treat him as one of your native born. Let's apply that from the set of Israel to the church. You're to treat the newcomer just as though they had grown up here, lived here all their lives, had always been on the end. No difference. You know, serving in churches, one thing that I've so often heard is we can't break into the circles that are in within the church. We're always on the outside. And that's what this passage is telling us not to do. Treat them as one of your native born. <coughs> Treat them as though being a part of this church all their lives. Love them, her or him as yourself. The way that you would want to be treated is if you were a newcomer here. Why? Because I am the Lord your God. In Luke chapter 10... Verse 25 to 37, we have uh, an expert of the law is trying to test Jesus. And he says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, what's written on the law? And so the answer he gives back, the expert comes back, is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus commends him for that. He's got it right. And so then he wants to justify himself. And he says, well, then who's my neighbor? And we have that beautiful story of the Good Samaritan. And the ones who should have helped that man that was beaten up on the road didn't. It was the stranger who helped. Who was hospitable. Who loved the stranger. What's Jesus trying to say? If you're going to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength in your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. It begins right here with loving the stranger. Whatever that means, but it begins right here. In Matthew 25, 34 through 40, we're actually told that we're going to be judged by how well we do this. And it says the king are going to say to those on his right, he's dividing people into two groups, and he says to the one group, he says, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me, and I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And they're going to say, Well, when did I do that to you, God? Whenever you did it to the, one of these, the least of these. You were doing it to me. And so he's actually going to look at, when he evaluates our lives, how well did we invite the stranger into our lives? Romans 12, 13 says, When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Or otherwise, always be eager to welcome the stranger. To love the stranger. And so there'd be no distinctions between us. Treat the stranger like the native born, someone who has always been a part of this church. Ephesians 3 6, this is God's plan. 
Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches shared inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body. Both enjoy the promises of blessing because they belong to Christ Jesus. And so that was one of the tensions. The early church started in the Jewish circles. But you started bringing the Gentiles in. They were the strangers. And what's Paul saying here? God's plan is to bring them together and there be no distinction. The strangers become one of the group. Colossians 3, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. How do we put on that new nature? And become renewed? It comes back to how we treat each other. In this life, all those distinctions that we make don't matter. Christ is all. He's the center of all. And he lives in all of us. Christ is all that matters. Get rid of those distinctions. And focus in, on Christ. So hospitality is always inclusive. It's not exclusive. In Luke 14, Jesus uh, turned to his host and he said, When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, Don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, or rich neighbors. For they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. And he's not telling you to, well, forget about all your relatives and friends and have nothing to do with them. Go just do something with people you don't know. That's not what he's saying. But you need to go beyond them. And you need to start including those who are not included. And bring them into your lives. And he says, that is what God will reward you for one day. Invite those who usually get left out. In Matthew 5, you've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemy. So he's taking it not just beyond those who are not included. He's even saying, welcome your enemies. He's taking it to the extreme here. He says, in that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust. If you only love those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even the corrupt taxpayer uh, collectors do this much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even the pagans do that. But you're to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And so he's appealing to this principle that God... Pours out his blessings on everyone, whether they're God's friends or whether they're God's enemies. But he still pours out his blessings on them. And he calls us to that same perfection. You know, if we don't aim for that, he says we're no different than the ungodly. If we don't aim for that. So why do we struggle with welcoming the stranger? <clears throat> and I know you could come up with different answers. But I believe one of the big ones is we don't like the change that the stranger brings. We don't like our culture to change. We like to stay comfortable. The more people of a new culture that attend, <coughs> excuse me, 
the more that it will impact the culture of our church. And we don't like to let go of our power structures. And the more new people we have come in, it dilutes power structures. And we don't want the stress that new perspectives bring and fresh ideas bring. We want to stay comfortable. Esther and I were once at a conference, and it wasn't a free church conference, uh, but a different denomination. And they had uh, breakout sessions uh, where dealing with different concerns where you could go and uh, you could have a discussion and give input to the denomination and take away ideas. And one of those sessions was on how to welcome strangers, specifically immigrants, into our churches. And the idea was that in the session, uh, the various churches would share what they were doing to welcome immigrants. And uh, you could go away with some ideas <coughs> that you could use. And during that discussion, one lady spoke up and uh, she said, well, in our church, we don't do anything. And they themselves were an ethnic-based church. They had their own culture and they didn't want to change it. And they weren't going to change it. And so they were glad to welcome immigrants who were coming to the church, and they did have immigrants who were coming to their church. But she said it wasn't the church's responsibility to help the immigrants feel welcome in their church. Rather, it was the immigrants' responsibility, she said, to adapt to them and become one of them. And we just cringed when we heard her words. What she was really saying is, we're a cultural church and we don't want to change. So you're welcome here if you change, but not us. And so often what happens when groups of immigrants get enough of their own people attending, they go and start their own church. And often because they weren't fully welcomed into the life of the church. And so they go start their own church, but in essence, they are going and doing the same thing which they left behind. Because then they can all be the same. They can come to church and have what is familiar to them. And they never really felt welcome in the church that they were attending. You know, that's human nature. We tend to seek that which is comfortable. And the comfortable is always my own culture. We need to, like the Jewish culture used to say that every stranger is a gift from God. We need to have that attitude. Every stranger is an invited guest. Now that attitude got challenged in the early church as they began as the Jewish church, as I already said, pretty much wherever the gospel went. The first converts were Jewish and then they were followed by the Gentile converts. And it's exciting until you have that influx of Gentiles, those strangers, and when they come in, they begin to impact the church and it becomes threatening to the Jewish beliefs and culture. And so the Gentiles came in with different ideas and perspectives, even different understandings of the scripture. For example, many of the Jews said you have to believe in Jesus, but they still wanted you to follow the laws. The Gentiles said, no, we only need to believe in Jesus. We don't follow the laws. But it wasn't just a belief system with the Jews. The whole culture was built around following those laws. Suddenly their culture is being challenged. The Jews told the Gentiles they had to get circumcised. That was extremely important to them. The Gentiles weren't excited about getting circumcised. The Gentiles brought pork to the potlucks and the Jews threw up. 
Well, maybe they didn't. I don't know if they brought pork. But that's the kind of tensions that would have come. It was repulsive to them. And so it was tough times because these strangers were threatening their culture, their beliefs, and their practices. Yet this influx of strangers into the church was a gift from God. It forced them to look at themselves and discern what God was really saying. As young adults, God took Esther and I away from this community, and I have to say, it's been a gift from God. We have worked with diverse cultures since then. We've been exposed to different perspectives and beliefs, diverse ways of thinking. It's been challenging at times, but we have changed. Today, our lives are broader and richer because of it. And if we as a church are willing to let the strangers change us, we will be broader and richer. Yes, it will be challenging. It can be uncomfortable at times. Because when your culture's challenged, that's uncomfortable. But to love the stranger means to allow them, with their cultures and their beliefs and their perspectives, to challenge us. And what happens, both groups adapt. And ultimately, it challenges us to go back to what is cultural and really what is the word of God. And we have to discern that. And so the ways of thinking perspectives will be challenged. And it will do the same for the stranger that comes into the church. It's not easy. But can you see it as a gift from God? So love the stranger. The stranger is God's gift to you. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for so many that you've brought into this church. And it is exciting. But even more so, it's a blessing. And I pray that we would just listen to your words and that we would welcome the stranger. That we would see every newcomer as a gift from God. I pray this in Jesus' name.